0: Good morning. morning. Hope you would stay where Scott just read in John chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 6. And one of the things we want to always encourage you to do is be paying attention to what we're saying, taking notes, so on and so forth. You guys received an index card at the beginning. I promise I'll tell you what it's for by the end of the sermon. Here's the name of the sermon, the Gateway Shepherd. The Gateway Shepherd is what I've named this sermon. (sighs) ah <sighs> we live in an era and an area that hates exclusivity hates it it hates one-way thinking because we are taught that we all ought to just be open-minded but we can value open mindedness so much that we close our minds to absolute truth Today we're going to hear Jesus recorded in Scripture, make some pretty outlandish claims about eternity and how to be on the right side of eternity. So I begin with, some of you will not agree with what is said today. Just letting you know that. You may say that you agree, you may even believe that you agree, but Jesus points us to the fact that evidence of one's belief is manifested in trust, it is exposed by how we live and it is evidenced by our response to these beliefs. So let's begin where Pastor Mike ended last week. In John chapter 10, verse 6, here's what it says. Jesus used this figure of speech. Bless you. But the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Chapter 9 and 10 don't really have any break. This conversation is in the same context as chapter 9, where Jesus has healed a blind man, first physically and then Spiritually. Jesus is known for using parables, but this is not like any other parable that he uses because generally when he uses a parable, he will start with the kingdom of God is like or the kingdom of heaven is like. And what he has said, as Mike taught last week, is a figure of speech, one that the Pharisees should understand based on sheep and pens and gates and things like that. And last week we understood that Jesus was teaching that there is a gate where sheep that are led by the shepherd actually go. And I would contend that this pen, this sheep pen, this sheep fold is the church, God's people. That's going to be important. So I'd encourage you to remember that, that the, the pen is God's people, his church. Jesus has just used this figure of speech to explain who God's sheep are. And how they get into the sheet pen. And Mike used this easy up that was here last week. And there was, he used cardboard and spray paint and an easy up. And you guys couldn't see it, but on the back of it was a ton of blue tape. And that's, it was to paint this illustration of what the pen was. And we all got this visual understanding of what it was. But this was a figure of speech to talk about God's people. To talk about eternity. And to talk about how you enter in to be God's people. It's interesting that Jesus uses this figure of speech in verses 1 through 5 that the Pharisees could not understand, and yet today he's going to use another example, another figure of speech that they literally could not understand again. And you need to know that when we study Scripture together, there is a common theme of he who has ears, let them hear. It's actually part of why we do takeaways, because we want to see if you're picking up what we're putting down. If you're hearing what the text is saying, if you have ears to hear. So I'm going to give you my main point right now. And for some of you, you guys are like, yes, if I can write down the main point, then I can check out. I'm giving you the opportunity to do that after I tell you the main point of the sermon. Here it is. Jesus is the gate, Jesus is the way, and Jesus is the shepherd. Jesus is the gate, Jesus is the way, and Jesus is the shepherd. Hence the title of the sermon, The Gateway Shepherd. And if all three of those things are true, we, church, are helpless to save ourselves. If he is the gate, he is the way, and he is the shepherd, we are helpless to save ourselves. But we are made righteous. We have right standing handed to us if we trust and worship Jesus alone as God. Now, I'd contend that John is recording that the Pharisees didn't understand, and it is something that we need to wrestle with because Jesus isn't as confusing as maybe some people think. It's that the theme of this gospel of John constantly talks about the fact that those who are self-righteous could not understand what he was saying. Self-righteousness is something that stops people from understanding who Christ is because righteousness only comes from Christ where he hands it to us through his perfect life lived, his death on the cross, and his resurrection. But those of us who are so sure of our self-righteousness We could not and would not understand Jesus because we are blinded by what we think is salvation based on what we do. So if we're there, why listen to this supposed Messiah if we're good with God because we think we've done enough good to get to him? But here's my point. Self-righteousness blinds us to Christ's righteousness. And I know this. I know many of you in this room. I know that when we teach a text like this that has a lot to do with what does it mean to hear the shepherd's voice and to be brought into the fold of God, when we hear this, we're going to start to go, but I do this, and I did this, and I've done this for so long. And I, The only way we're made righteous is by Christ giving it to us. It's the only way. So if we're sure of our own self-righteousness, we will be blinded to Christ's righteousness We'll often argue that we're not that bad. And I love you enough to tell you, yes, you are. You are that bad. And you're like, I want to come to church and be encouraged. Cool. It's good that you understand that you're that bad. See, this is not about comparison to your neighbor. You're probably better than your neighbor. Okay, you're here. All right, you might be better. Good for you. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about comparison to God's perfection. And in comparison to that, you're bad. I'm bad. I'm a sheep. Some of you were here last week. Way to go. Last week, the passage was Jesus stating that we are sheep, that we are sheep, I'm a sheep, you're a sheep, and sheep move in flocks. And the shepherd gathers his flock into a sheepfold or into a pen that enters through a gate. They know the shepherd's voice. They go where the shepherd leads them. And now as we study verses 7 through 10 and really 11, we will see why he gathers such a flock of sheep. Verses 1 through 5, Jesus creates a word picture of what happened in chapter 9. The shepherd drew a sheep. There was the MBB, the man born blind, and the shepherd drew him to himself. He did not become a follower of Jesus through legalism or through his own merit, but through the drawing of the good shepherd into the sheepfold. He made him see, and then he drew him to himself. And this is what happened to the man born blind. This is what happens to any and all of us who have been uh, entrusted the gospel, that we have received Christ. You either become a Christian by the calling of Jesus, by going through the gate, or you don't. Some of us attempt to jump over the wall by attempting to earn it ourselves. Or you come over the wall thinking that you're supposed to be there Or as we've been teaching, we think that we can earn salvation. But to be totally honest, the idea that you can earn salvation is on the same level of the pride of the devil of hell. You cannot earn your salvation. There's nothing that you do. It's all about what Christ has accomplished for you. So here we go, verse 7. Therefore, Jesus said again, (laughs) since I already confused you, let me confuse you again. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep, Jesus says, I am the gate. Other translations say he is the door. Both imply simply one thing, it's pretty simple, that he is the entrance in order to be in the pen, into the sheep pen, the sheep fold. In order to be in the sheep pen, the shepherd leads his sheep, and you must enter through the entrance, the gate, the door. Not over a wall, not underneath the gate, but through the only true entrance, which is Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the gate. And when he says that he is the gate, he is the access point for eternal life. Everything rests on Jesus Christ. And he is the gate for who? What does it say? For his sheep. We are not called God people, in case you were wondering. Like, if someone asked you of your religion, how would you respond? What would you say? You're a Christian, right? Some would say Christ follower because Christian tends to get a bad label behind it. I wouldn't recommend any of you say a Baptist, you know, like what I would encourage you to say is that you're a Christian. Now, the term Christian was in the early church, and it was the term that was used to make fun of Christians. Christian meant little Christ. You you bunch of little Christian posers. You want to look like Jesus, But ever since Jesus lived, died, and rose again, people have thought that all they have to do is act like Jesus rather than bow down to Jesus. We'd rather not die to ourselves and be raised again through the power of the Holy Spirit. We would rather just look the part. But Paul, the apostle who writes two-thirds of the New Testament, who was killing Christians, and then switched team jerseys and joined the movement of the way of Christians. He states it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I resolved to know nothing. Paul, the most decorated Pharisee of all time, the most decorated religious man, he switches jerseys and now he is an All star for Christianity, for the Christian faith. And he says, it's not about anything I do, it's all about what Christ has done and his crucifixion. Paul could say, I memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. He could say he was born in the right bloodline, a pure bloodline, that he was circumcised on the eighth day, that he studied under the best Pharisee available in his era, and all that he learned, all that he did, none of it was of any use eternally in comparison to knowing Christ and his gospel message. Philippians chapter 3, Paul kind of like does his LinkedIn profile here. He says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law a Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. That's our Lord. That's our King not having a righteousness of his own. If someone could claim that they were righteous based on their own works, it was Paul the apostle. It was him. He was better than you and I at everything religious. Just know that. But we don't compare ourselves in the gospel. We bow down in the gospel to the one who was perfect on our behalf, which is Jesus Christ. What Jesus was communicating to the Pharisees, who could not understand, because they were deaf and they were blind, nor could they understand that they were thieves and robbers, was that Jesus is the point fully and unapologetically, completely Jesus. You know what someone called our church a few weeks back? Oh, you're that Jesus church. I said, hell, I mean, yes. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews, and a foolishness to Gentiles. It was a stumbling block to the Jews because even though they knew of a Messiah that was foreshadowed in their scriptures in the Old Testament, they refused to believe that he'd come from such meager circumstances. They refused to believe that God became man, and they refused to believe that knowing God meant knowing Jesus Christ as God's only son. And for the Gentiles, the Greeks, they had a much more philosophical view of God, is how I would picture them saying it. For them, the omnipresent, omnipotent, perfect, and holy God who creates, sustains, and provides was not something they could believe in because they believed in a distant, far-off God. Often we speak of the correlation of the fact that even now in the Christian faith, we often identify with Jews and Gentiles. So here, I'm going to try this. I just I need some participation. If you grew up in a church, please raise your hand. Okay? Wow, most of you. All right, so I'll change most of my references. Got it. See, for those of us who have grown, I didn't. But for those of us who have been raised in the Christian faith or raised in a church, often resonate with the Jews of the New Testament. They've been taught traditions of man that aren't necessarily in the scriptures. Things have been added to their belief system because as they grew up, these were things that were always done. Did you know this happens in the church, that we keep doing things because we've always done them? Shocking, right? I'm sorry if you didn't know this. But we start to listen and hold fast to these traditions of men, and unfortunately, we hold fast to them even more sometimes than the actual word of God. So we look more, if you, I'm not saying that you're necessarily this if you've grown up in the church, but you have to war against this. We have to preach the gospel to each other constantly. We will look more at people's moral modification than the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, they look good. Well, why? Well, because they know when to raise their hands during oceans. Yeah, no. Ocean, we don't even play that song. Never mind. (laughs) We look more at people trying to dress themselves up and look a certain way than actual fruit of the Spirit where the Spirit of God is obvious in one's life. We care more about what a Christian doesn't do than what they actually do for their neighbor. And we hold so fast to these things that like the Jews and the teachers of the law of the first century, we miss Jesus and his will for pious living and our own will because we think people should look a certain way. And some of us, Malik and I, we identify much more with the Gentiles, the Greeks, the non-pure bloodline who were not raised in the church. See, we want to wear hats during worship service, all right? We don't remember choirs nor do we care about traditions that unfortunately filled many of our souls growing up if you grew up in the church, The church today wrestled with what the early church struggled with as well. See, we've seen things happen in the church, and we go, I can't believe they would do that, but we just repeat history over and over and over again. And what we see is a fundamental problem that the world must contend with, not just people in the church, but outside of these doors. Here's the fundamental problem. It's the question, is Jesus just a religious figure Or is he God Almighty in the flesh who is alive today? Which is he? Because if we just think he's a religious figure, just a really good rabbi, he was just some guy who taught really well, then he's one of many rabbis in all of history. But if he is who he says that he is, then he's God in the flesh, and we listen to his words above all other words. Because if Jesus is just some guy, I got to be real, we're without hope. If Jesus is just some guy, we cannot enter into the sheep pen. We cannot be God's people. We cannot be his church based on what we do. We'll never do enough to make up for the bad that we've done. So if Jesus is just some guy, there's no rest for our weary souls. If Jesus is just some guy, we will always be insecure and wondering if we've done enough to get to God. But you don't have to be insecure, Christians. You don't have to be insecure of your salvation if you have entered by the gate who is Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected and he did for you what you could not do for yourself. There's no insecurity in the kingdom if you've entered by the gate, none. None. But Jesus is stating that he is the gate, he is the way in which God's flock would be gathered and it was through him alone. But as he said before in verse 1 of chapter 10, very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. Burn! He's talking to people who were justifying themselves based on how holy they thought they were. See, some get into the sheep pen, not through the gate. Some go through a different way. They want to justify themselves so they believe they've, that they could actually enter into God's people through some other means. I've heard it multiple times. Well, I, I grew up a Christian. I was born a Christian. That's impossible. It is only by the gate of you receiving what Christ has done that God draws you to himself through the shepherd's voice, and you come into the pen, the people of God. But Christ... He says that there's no other way. He says that if you try to get into the pen through any other means, you are a thief or a robber. Think about that for a second. Think about the harsh words that Jesus is using here. He doesn't just say, you're a goat. You know, like he's like, you're messed up. You're wrong. You're evil. And a thief and a robber is attempting to take sheep away from their shepherd. But here's what we don't get. Like, we talk a lot about wolves. If you're teaching the Bible and you're teaching it wrong, you're a wolf, we shoot wolves, all right? Just putting that out there. Not, like, spiritually? Never mind. All right, whoa! You guys were like, what? He's not, I can't, I don't have a gun. Anyway, so, but we're talking about thieves and robbers that are trying to take the sheep. And the interesting thing about thieves and robbers is sometimes we're one of those and we don't even realize it. Here's how we know. if we didn't, Get our justification through Jesus Christ, but we act the part and we look a certain way, then we think we're good. And here's how we influence people, not with our words, but the way we live. Because for many of us, if we're part of Christ's people, then we've been saved by Jesus. We know it's about Jesus. We talk about Jesus. We give Jesus credit. But if you think you've done it some other way, you you make it about you. You talk about you. You talk about what you've done. You talk about when you accepted Jesus. No. God drew you to himself, and you heard the voice because he is good. And so for us, as we're a thief or a robber, we start to influence people away from the goodness of the gospel because we think that our righteousness was based on what we were done, not based on grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. And so it's very subtle, but we can be a thief and robber and influence people without even opening our mouths. If you think you earned your salvation or even have kept your salvation through your morals, you are robbing others of the beautiful truth of the gospel that you're influencing. He says that he is the gate. He doesn't say he's a crack in the wall or a hole in the ceiling. He says that he is the gate. In other translations, the door. He was the proper and only way into the house of God. Just him, not your intelligence, nor your good deeds. Or even what you think is a pure heart. It's Christ and only him. And he is the only way that the door is open for you. The only way you get into the sheepfold. Is through the righteousness being handed to you by Jesus Christ. And him alone and his perfect life and his death and his resurrection. That's what makes us good. So you guys picking up what I'm putting down? Do you have ears to hear yet? All right, we're going to keep going. Later in John, in John chapter 14 verse 6. Jesus is speaking with his disciples. We'll get there like in, in a few decades. John chapter 14, verse 6, and he says, after being asked about how you inherit eternal life, he says, I am the way, Jesus says. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here's the thing and why people really don't like Christianity, because we're exclusive. It's not Jesus and. It's Jesus, period. It's just So not only is Jesus the gate, he is also the way, so how can any of us act like we've done anything? He's not only the gate, he is the way. And a month back before we jumped into the book of John again, we taught a three-week series, a vision series of COV. It was called The Gospel, Spiritual Growth, and Family. Family. Which is ultimately, the whole point of what we do here at COV is that we would grow into the likeness of Jesus by obeying God at his word for the right reasons. See, your motivation matters. The first week, we taught a sermon called, Jesus is the gospel, which is, I think, pretty self-explanatory. Jesus is the point. All that we do is to point people to him. The good news of Jesus Christ isn't preached as an optional dessert at COV, it's the main course then we spoke about the fact that spiritually growing isn't a benefit of Christian life. It is the Christian life. Christ's likeness is the target, but that doesn't happen through begrudging submission. That happens through grace-driven effort. And lastly, we taught on family matters. Think Urkel. That God adopts us into his family, and we as his people are focused on making much of him together, which requires vulnerability And accountability, that's what it requires to be God's family, to be a part of his family. We need to be vulnerable and we need to be accountable. We don't put on our Sunday best and just act a certain way so people don't know who we are. And man, did that sermon hit. You know why I know it hit? Because some people left the church. Let me just let that sit for a second. There were people that had been attending periodically that kind of heard what it means to opt in what it means to be a part of, not, not salvation, but to be a part of God's family here. That we'd be vulnerable, that we'd be accountable, that we wouldn't just come and do our thing and leave, but we want people to actually engage in the ministry of Jesus Christ because we grow together. Now, if you're just attending, man, we're glad you're here, but we're going to constantly encourage you to do more than just attend. We want you to be involved Wants want you to be a part of what God's doing, and that's more than just a Sunday morning. It's throughout the week. It's having accountability and relationships with one another. And so, like, I don't want it to sound at all like I'm celebrating that people are leaving. But I also don't want us to feel like we're doing anything wrong either. Truly, the reason that some might leave is because when they hear what we're truly about, that's not their expectation for a church. And I'll tell you what. That is a huge blessing for people to realize that they don't want to go in the same direction that we're going. That people will feel like they can opt out rather than try to force themselves into some culture that they'll never ever fit into because they just don't want to opt in and be vulnerable. The great thing about that series was it also gave people the guardrails to understand what we are about so the people that want to be about the Father's business here at COV could opt in our dream for this community is that everyone who opts into COV does so because they hear the shepherd's voice leading them to be God's family here and that they want to grow spiritually. So I've kind of, I've, I've said some honest things. Let me, let me brag on our church. It, this is a really great community if you want to grow spiritually. Just is. What we don't mean is that we want people to be more educated or smarter or just be able to quote more Hebrew or Greek. That is not our goal. You can pay thousands of dollars and go to a seminary to learn how to do that, okay? We want people to be in a place in a community or really a family where we grow in Christ's likeness by applying God's word to our lives. Now, when we think about that, your mind's involved. You do need to learn. You need to understand more of who God is through the word, but the goal is not a Western culture informational transfer kind of thing, which usually ends up with degrees and pride. What we want people to understand is we want them to realize that they grow through circumstance and opportunity to be refined and that we would grow together as God's community here. That is what a true declaration of Jesus Christ being Lord of your life does. It makes you engage with him. It makes you engage with his people. You grow in your love for him because you realize you did nothing to get to him, but he came to you, and so you could love him and love others that are in the church, that by Christ's intervention, they've been adopted into the family of God, those who are sheep and know it, who are led by the shepherd's voice into the sheepfold of his people. And it's not just those in the church, but to love those that are yet to know him Because you've realized that you were without hope before Christ and you see that others are without hope without Christ. And so you want to point them to the hope that you now have. So if that is what a true declaration of Jesus Christ being your Lord produces, it's important that we cultivate and celebrate what we see happening within the sheepfold of God's people. What we have seen are people being humbled, All right, I don't know if you hate that word as much as I do sometimes, but people have been humbled as they've realized that they are a sheep. I'm a sheep. We have seen people become less and less enamored with themselves and more and more focused on Jesus and him getting all the credit and all the glory. We see individuals wanting to be around what is happening in this place through volunteering of their time and serving in the church body. Anywhere from being in children's ministry where you hold a baby and you pray for that baby. Dude, guys, seriously, baby smell, it's, the, it's better than new car smell. I'm I'll tell you what. And you, you hold that baby for an hour and a half while the parents go into the service and you hold the baby and you pray for the baby and you care for the baby and you build a relationship with the parents for the glory of Jesus' name. From baby ministry in the nursery to children's ministry where you're engaging in some way where maybe you just go hey I want to get to know some of these kids I want to love on some of the parents and the volunteers and you just come and create snack so the teachers can teach the word of God to those children so they can hear directly from the Bible who God is and how much God loves them and maybe you start to go hey I want to teach these kids that's where I learned how to teach children and teenagers is where I first learned how to teach the word of God and so you start to teach these kids and you start to teach them but we're going to hold you accountable to teach the truth. Or maybe you want to engage through tech ministry, where you go, well, it would kind of stink if Tim had to yell this whole time. I mean, I am, but, you know, we have amplified opportunity. We have uh, the instruments we can hear the slides are up on the screens, and so maybe you come and go, man, I want to learn how to help be part of the tech ministry, and I want to help them be able to make much of Jesus. Maybe you want to help with slides. I think a lot of people think, oh, slides, that's like the, the be- no, no, no. If you do slides bad, that's not good, all right? So the people that serve in slides, they're important to making sure the gospel is heard, and so you can engage that way. You can engage through worship ministry where you come maybe you have or you're going to audition to be a part of the worship team and you you want to come and worship God Sunday mornings point us to to the savior through music first service or second service or first and second service every week plus Thursdays for a rehearsal the fact that anyone's doing any of this maybe you're passing out bulletins when people walk on a campus maybe you're making caffeine i praise God for you But all of these things are opportunities for us to serve our king and be engaged. And I'm not going to tell you you have to do any or all of this. I'm just going to encourage you, you should do something. Because if all you're doing is just hearing the word of God and you're not doing anything with it, let me, disclaimer, we are effectively hardening your heart. You're not welcome. That's not what we want. We want people to grow, which means we're going to put into practice The word, and we're going to engage with one another, and we're going to love one another, and love God, and love others because there's a ton of religiousness in the Christian church today. We don't want to have any part of that. We want to make it about Jesus. All right, all that was free. I'll get back to my sermon. As for the people who have been humbled, it's become less and less about them and all and all about Christ. And as they've been serving, as they've been investing their time, their talents, their treasure into the kingdom of God through the COV family, we've seen spiritual growth. We've seen marriages be reconciled, church, because of the word of God and putting it into practice and the Holy Spirit leading them. We have seen spouses who prayed for their spouse to engage and they've started to engage with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've seen children come alive in spiritual ways that as parents we only dreamed of. Elderly people have engaged with people of different generations. People do in this church, not all of us, but a lot of us, serve one and sit one. We want to be a people that engage in the word of God and we serve the body of Christ. None of these are rules, but these are ways that we can grow. And so I have seen hearts fall more in love with Christ. And all of this is because God in his mercy has called us by name into his sheepfold. He is the gate that we enter through. He is the way to eternal life and he is the shepherd who protects us. Verse eight, all who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. Listen to Jesus' claim. Those who came before him were thieves and robbers. Many had come in the name of the Lord. Many had said that they were the power of God, but we rarely know their names. You want to know why? Because they dead. They weren't who they said they were. They didn't live a perfect life. They didn't die a sacrificial death, and they did not resurrect back to life. And they didn't come for God, they were not of God, and they could not nor would not enter through the gate, but instead attempted to jump over the wall and influence people away from the truth. But those who are God's sheep, they do not listen to the thieves' voices, because they are not theirs. Last week, sermon, just want to brag on my friend Mike, It was so impactful for me, and one of the main things that stuck out to me, my biggest takeaway from last week was that false teaching distracts from the shepherd's voice, and I've seen it over and over again. I've seen people that say, hey, I want to be in. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be baptized. I want to do this. I want to do that, and then all of a sudden, they start listening to heretics like Rob Bell. They start listening to people that don't preach the truth of God. But instead, they want to teach other things to just make their itching ears f- uh, be scratched. In fact, Paul spoke to Timothy and said it this way in 2 Timothy 4, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. <laughs> yeah, now. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of podcasts, I mean, of teachers, to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Paul warned Timothy about this in the first century. And as we've gone through the information age that we're in, there has never been a more prevalent time that people can find whatever they want to scratch the itch of what they want to believe. But Jesus is the gate, it's just Him. You don't get to add to the gospel. And Jesus said that his sheep, they do not listen to these false teachers and thieves and robbers because they know his voice. When the U.S. Mint wants to figure out if they have a counterfeit $100 bill, they don't spend a bunch of time looking at counterfeit dollar bills. They look at the real bill. They spend a lot of time dissecting what the real $100 bill looks like with all the intricacies inside of it. And so when they see a fake one, as soon as they say it, they go, nope, that ain't right. That should be us, Christians. In God's Word. We should be saturated in the Word of God so we know the real deal, so when something fake comes along, we're quick to shut that down. Verse 9, I am the gate, Jesus says. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pastor. Whoever enters through who? Jesus. Whoever enters through him, it's Jesus, and he says that if you enter through him, you will be saved. He doesn't say how. He doesn't say that it's him in something else. He doesn't say a lot in the simple explanation, but he makes clear it's exclusive. It's him only. And if you enter through him, through belief of who he is and what he has done on your behalf, you will be saved. Saved from what? An eternity without God. Uh, back in, I think it was September, we installed Mike as our executive pastor, and a mutual friend of ours and a mentor of his and a, and a seminary professor and pastor used this definition for the gospel. It was Dr. Jeff Louis, said it this way, the gospel is everything Christ is, taught, did, and accomplished historically and theologically. I love that, because I think we make a very impure gospel when we want to just make it about some rules. Or we want to just say, oh, well, Jesus lived and he died. Or even Jesus lived, died, and rose again, because the gospel is everything that Jesus is, because Jesus is the gospel. No one gets into the sheep pen without going through the gate. So you and I, church, real talk, you and I, if we've trusted Jesus Christ, are secure. If we've believed that the gospel of Jesus Christ is true, if we believe that he is enough, if that is where we find our security, we go in and out of the gate, and we will find pasture. We will find security in a world that is messed up, even in the midst of trial, in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of tragedy, because the gate, the way, the shepherd are the same person, and that person is Jesus Christ. We do not live in fear, church, for our Redeemer lives. And because he lives, we will live. We have eternal life. We know this isn't all that we get. This, the life after this one is in perfect communion with God, not because we're a good person or because we worked our way to God, but he worked his way to us. Daughter, can I use the story? Thanks. So my 12-year-old daughter goes to my middle school that I went to. I don't still go there. That'd be weird. (laughs) She goes to the same middle school that I went to like 700 years ago. And she has a history class where they're teaching from (laughs) the Roman Empire all the way to the Industrial Age, or the, I I forgot, but whatever it is, it's thousands of years. And so they're kind of going through what the seventh graders need to learn pretty fast. And so the teacher the other day uh, started with, okay, we're going to talk about some religions. We're going to talk about the religions that are still in effect or whatever now. And so let's start with Christianity. And here's what the teacher said. The, the, the teacher said, Christianity believes in heaven and believes in hell. And here's what the teacher said. Teacher said, and Christians believe that if you're good, you go to heaven. And if you're bad, you go to hell. Let me do an impression of my 12-year-old daughter teacher looks at Reagan and goes, yes, Reagan? And Reagan goes, that's not right. What do you mean? Well, Christians believe in heaven and hell, but it's not good people that go to heaven. It's not bad people that go to hell. It's people who have a relationship with Jesus go to heaven, and people that don't have a relationship go to hell. <sighs> Drop the mic, 12-year-old. The teacher was like, well, that's what I meant. And Reagan's like, no, it wasn't. <laughs> but if this is the first time that she or any of you have heard this passage, here's the point. Jesus is the gate. It's not about trying to be gooder. It's about being gods. It's not about how hard you try. It's about going through the door, through the gate, who is Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The thief comes only to kill and destroy, to kill sheep, to destroy their protection in the Lord, to draw you away from the truth, from the way, from the gate, from the shepherd. And this is actually easier than one would think. This is about being distracted, not knowing the real deal, not knowing the shepherd's voice. And that's why we must be saturated in God's word. So we know when it is God speaking rather than our preference or our will. It's why we talk a lot about thinking biblically. It's something we speak about often. We want to read and teach Scripture based on the context in which it was written. Here's a great takeaway. Context determines meaning. Context determines meaning. You can get the Bible to say whatever you want, but context determines meaning while also reminding us that Scripture interprets Scripture, so we cannot get to... The Scripture to say whatever we want it to say. Neither can we base our theology around one verse because if the theology is something we should believe, God said it multiple times because I'm a sheep. We must look at multiple passages within their context to confirm biblical thinking. One way that I notice that some of us are missing this is since we started, I think from the very first week that uh, I was here, July 1st, 2017, at the end of every service, we do takeaways. And we give people the opportunity, we grab the microphone, we give people the opportunity to share what they learned in the time, and I'm going to ask for takeaways later today. And a lot of you look at your notes and you go, hey, it was this, but then every once in a while, someone starts to share something that had nothing to do with what we were learning had nothing to do with the sermon, had nothing to do with scriptures, nothing. It was just bringing more of their own personal opinion into it. And so I'm not just knocking the fact that, no, let's make it about Jesus. Let's make it about the text that we read and things like that so everyone can kind of be confirmed in what they're believing. But what I'm saying is that often when we do that, it's because our hearts been hardened to the truth and we're unwilling to hear any more truth. And we spend all this time trying to bring up something that we heard elsewhere that we think everyone needs to hear. I know for me, I'm distracted. Mike was telling a great story last week in the sermon that I got a text on my watch from one of you while the sermon was going, and I literally missed the point of, the, of the, the story. And so then, thank goodness, second service, I'm in service again, and he started to tell the story, and I was like, oh, that's amazing! But I totally missed it first service because I got distracted. If we're sheep, we're dumb. If we're sheep, we're distracted. That's why we need one another to help one another be pointed towards Jesus. So church, I don't want to control you. I don't want to force you to do anything that you don't want to do or cannot do. But we also want to lay the groundwork for you to be able to hear the shepherd's voice. That's why we teach through the word of God systematically. To enter through the gate. To know the way personally and experientially. To grow in your knowledge and love for the good shepherd who is Jesus Christ Christ. God with skin, to become more like him as you love him through obedience to his word. That is life to the full. That is abundant life in which he promises. Life to the full is not about a way of life, but the who that gives life. And we want each of us as followers of Jesus to experience the life to the full that Jesus promises. So hear me. I haven't made fun of prosperity gospel enough today. That doesn't mean that you're healthy, wealthy, and happy. That's not the life to the full that he promises. It's not that you're healthy, wealthy, and happy. It means you are content, growing, and his. Lastly, verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. My last point not only is Jesus the gate, not only is Jesus the way, but he is the shepherd, the good shepherd that lays down his life for a sheep. If you've committed to Jesus Christ, if you have acknowledged, confessed, and trusted Jesus Christ as Lord, you are secure. You are saved. You are being sanctified, but most importantly, you are his.